Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever, wherever you're listening to this episode of Equal Play. I hope you are well, and as always, thank you for tuning in. This week, I had a conversation with one of football's pioneers, the first woman hired to coach in the NFL and the first woman to play on a men's professional team in a contact position, Dr. Jen Welter. She's accomplished so much on the football field beyond just those firsts, and that conversation is coming up right after this week's Hot Headlines. All right, listen, the first and only headline we are giving time to on this week's episode of Equal Play is, of course, Sarah Fuller and her history-making moment. Fuller became the first woman to play in a Power 5 football game when she delivered the second-half kick against Missouri, a designed squib kick that was downed at the 35-yard line. Fuller is expected to continue as Vanderbilt's place kicker this Saturday against Georgia. Earlier in the week, on a call with reporters, Fuller said, She looked up to the U.S. women's national team growing up, like so many of us did, and that it was her athlete mentality that prepared her for that moment with Vanderbilt football. She said, quote, no matter what sport you're playing, you're always going to have critics. You need to accept criticism. I've gone through a lot of struggles. I've been told no a lot of times. I've been hurt a lot. I've been through the ringer. So all these little comments, people saying whatever, it's nothing. As a woman who grew up listening to my grandma share stories of her days playing half-court basketball, Sarah Fuller's story means so much because my grandma represents women who growing up were taught and were told all they were capable of was playing half-court, so to speak. I know there were countless girls tuned in to see Fuller, who in the process saw themselves, and that is so critical. So ladies, my message for you is this. Dream big. Yes, dream as big as you can, as broad as you can, but goal get even harder because your dreams are preparing you to accomplish your goals and your goals are absolutely within reach. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And now the conversation you all tuned in for. Here is Dr. Jen Welter. Jen, thank you for joining us on Equal Play. Hey, it's so good to be here with you. Um, I love that you're doing this. Congratulations. Um, And for all of us who have been in the trenches, this is so important. So thank you for uh, being a champion for equality. Well, I am just thrilled to be able to do this. And like I've told previous guests, the idea really came after doing some interviews with just super powerful women. And I was like, this is not fair that I get to spend, you know, an hour and a half talking to Jen Welter and everyone only gets to hear a small portion of the interview. So I'm like, I need to create a platform where we could, you know, share our entire conversation and equal play is it. So without uh, wasting any more time, because the people want to hear from you, you grew up in Vera Beach, Florida, a football haven, um, but you never had the opportunity to play. It just wasn't available to you. So, you know, reflecting on that, how different do you think your life would have been had football been as available as it is now to young girls? I mean, there's still a long way to go, but 
how, how do you think that would have changed your trajectory? Well, you know, I think the biggest thing about that is like, first of all, being able to see that there's an end game, right? Because an end game helps you, helps pull you through the hard times, right? The no, the ouch, my body hurts, the, all of that. Right. And, and guys have had that for a long time. The end game could be, you know, going to play in the NFL, going to coach in the NFL. Even your end game could be getting to go to college because you play football. Right. And for girls, you know, it, it wasn't the same. And so that, that in terms of motivation is huge, uh-huh. right? And so even if I had gotten to play back then, um, I wouldn't have gotten to play with the intention necessarily of it being my life's game, right? And right. my life's goal. So maybe I wouldn't have been as hungry if I wasn't told it was off limits. However, the good thing about girls who are coming through now is that not only are there opportunities for them to get to play, whether it's, you know, the, the four states that have varsity girls flag football, right? Florida, Georgia, Nevada, Alaska, or finally getting to see that in 2021, the NAIA will have girls varsity collegiate flag football. So you could change your life educational trajectory through the game of football, right? Or get to see women coaching in the NFL or Sarah Thomas refing in the NFL. You could see that my love and my skill set in football has a place to go. And I that you need both of those, right? For girls to be um to maximize their opportunities in the game, right? They have to have early access to knowledge and great coaching to get that fire, right? Because if the boys are getting to learn all of it, we want the girls to be as fired up as at being great as the boys are so that they're not behind, right? Like I didn't get to play football till I was 22 years old. Which I, is insane. Right, like I can't even imagine how good I could have been if I was groomed the same way the, that the boys were. That there was a future where it could be my life's work right. if I was good and I played really hard and I studied really hard, and there was the access to learn. Right, like I had to go against the grain, which you know, is hard. And it means you're, you know, you're fortified and you're tough and you do all of those things. But I look at the girls now and I, and I get so fired up for them and I, it, and it, it makes me want to create things for them. Um, because there's no limit to what they can do or where right. they go. And I tell them all, I'm like, be better than me, you know, cause they'll say, oh, I want to be like you. I'm like, don't be like me be better than me. You have an opportunity to be better than me because you're starting earlier than I did. And I will be thrilled for you when you get there, as long as you're doing what you want to do. Don't do it because I did it. Do it because you're fired up in it and you're motivated to be great because wherever that is in the world, I want you to have that opportunity, right? If they want to be a journalist because they saw you, I'm going to be like, good, go hang with her when she's covering my camp. Right. And maybe be a jur- junior journalist and, you know, put it on your TikTok and do those interviews <laughs> because when you love it, right. And you get access to somebody who's doing what you want to do, you, you get that, you know, early fire and right. then the build and build and build. Right. Can we actually go into detail on that point you're making right there? When you see it, you can be it. And unfortunately for a lot of women, we're playing catch up in a lot of fields where when we were younger, we didn't see these roles. We didn't see ourselves in these roles. I remember when I was had the desire to become a sports journalist, the only woman I really saw consistently was Erin Andrews. And as great as she is, I didn't necessarily totally find myself relating to being a sideline reporter. So, and, and don't get me wrong. There are a trillion other women who are writers to look up to, but the point remains, if you can't, if you don't see it, you can't be it. So for you, you know, breaking into all of these places and spaces, what kind of confidence did you have to build up 
or what kind of acknowledgement did you give to the fact that there was no one you could model yourself after? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, when I made my first football team, the promise I made myself was that I would step up into every challenge, mm-hmm. which meant I had no idea what I was promising I would do, right? Like, I was like, okay, we'll take it as it comes. I'm like, dang, okay, I didn't see that coming, right? Because they weren't there, right? right? Like, when I started playing, the biggest dream was to win like a Super Bowl. And I put it in air quotes because women's football doesn't necessarily have an equivalent term, right? They call it a world championship. But then again, I have a gold medal and we played the world. So yeah. world champion seems a little weird when you have a gold medal, right? Like, right. So Super Bowl, like maybe ours is the super her superior bowl. I don't know. <laughs> right? But, but that was the ultimate goal because that was the biggest thing we could aspire to. Uh-huh. And then I won, and then we won, you know, three, and then we won four. And then you start to think, okay, well, what now? Right. right? Like my hands are heavy, but I still don't have any increased opportunities. Right. I've, I've got some great bling. Um, and thankfully mine is earned, not purchased. And I actually was the girl who remembers a time. And for anyone who's listening out there, I want you to think about this. We always think of strong people as never having bad times. That is not the case. Right. Strong people were fortified. Okay. And I certainly was. At the time I won my first Super Bowl, okay, those big thick rings are stubborn. And they don't tell you when you order your first one in like the sizer, you know, we've all sized our finger at one point and at it you know, um, they don't tell you that you actually have to oversize it when they're big because it doesn't fit the same as like that skinny band. Oh, wow. and so I had sized my Super Bowl ring, my first one to fit on my right handed ring finger. Uh-huh. When I got it, it did not fit on that finger. <laughs> there was only one finger that it would fit on. And that was my engagement finger. And at that time, I was engaged, but I was not fully engaged. I, I was there because I thought it was the right thing to do. I thought it was what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And I distinctly remember the day that my Super Bowl ring displaced my engagement ring. And I remember laughing to myself and being like, oh, I, I guess I'm married to football. And it was the turning point in that relationship because it ended up being really bad. I ended up leaving it. And the strength in me to be able to look at him when he was mad that his engagement ring had lost hold on the possession of me and that finger was to say, but you can't buy this. And every time I looked at that ring, I knew that it was special and it reminded me that I was worth it. And that is something that, you know, we teach guys to aspire to rings but we teach them to aspire to championship rings. We teach girls to aspire to engagement rings. Mm -hmm. And that to me was one of the most important shifts in my life. You know, then you get one, you get two, you get three, you get four, that doesn't change. And you start to wonder what's next. And then you think maybe I've put my body through the the grinder and, and made enough hits for something else. And then another door opened and they announced that they were going to field the very first U.S. national team in America's game. Mm -hmm. America's team, sorry, Jerry Jones, in America's game. (laughs) And I was like, I have to do that. What always gave me, you know, I think it's a fire. I don't know if it's always a confidence because there are so many times when I have, especially stepping into the men's world, maybe felt and wondered if you know, I wasn't the wrong person, right? Like I remember talking to two of my best friends, um, Odessa Jenkins and Alberta Fitchard Bryson, when I had the opportunity to play on the men's team. And I thought maybe I shouldn't be the person like you guys both play. Then they wanted me to play running back, which I wasn't right. And I was like, maybe one of you should do it because, you know, you're actually running backs, right? Like maybe you'd be better at this than me. And Odessa looked at me and she's like, well, do you can't hand off your destiny? That's really powerful. And, you know, you talked about your team USA and everything you guys went through to 
you know, reach the highest level to accomplish the highest goal. And you did, you ultimately did, but you and your team received little to no coverage. And you have talked openly on the record before saying, you know, that the expectation was that you all would come home and there'd be a celebration and there'd be acknowledgement and that this moment would be the turning point for women in football. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. How painful was it to reach that peak and feel like that was going to happen, that was going to be the turning point, and come home to see that little had changed? You know, I think you always hope, right? Like when you, when you do something epic, there's this this hope of this breakthrough. At least that's what it was for us, right? I mean, if I looked at it realistically now, um, knowing that nobody really knew about us and that we had to pay to play, like nobody will, it really would have known um, because we weren't getting the coverage, right? This is why it's so important to have, you know, the media and what's happening on the field work hand in hand because, you know, you can win a gold medal, but you, you're not going to get all that glitters, you know, with that gold. If no one knows, you have to have both the, you know, the, uh, the moment and it needs spotlight, right? And it needs amplification. And so in 2010, when it didn't happen, we were like, okay, right. We've got more work to do. Mm-hmm. I think it was harder in 2013, three years later, when we realized nothing had changed, when we won our second gold medal. And yet again, it was like, yay. No, right. Right. I was writing and covering Team USA while I was playing, right? I used a GoFundMe to raise my money because for the first time I realized that like, you know, I had always thought of kind of like, I didn't want anybody to know that we weren't making money because I didn't want us them to think of us as less because we were making less. It took me a long time to realize that professionalism isn't the dollars you make. It's the attitude you take. I've interviewed and spoken with countless professional women in sport who, who, who have that problem in their, in their head. And, and we, even in the media, it's the dollar amount is not discussed. And you, again, I I mentioned, I've talked to countless female athletes who bring that up that they don't want to talk about how much they make. And we're seeing that change a lot. And the U.S. Women's National Team has done so much in the fight for equal equal pay. But why do you think you felt like it, it wasn't appropriate to talk about how much you were making or that talking about it would set you guys back because I think drawing attention to the fact you guys were making little to nothing would bring attention to how unequal the playing field is. You know, I think we wanted to think of ourselves as professionals, right? Um, And as soon as you say, like, I get paid a dollar a game, people laugh you off right? Men's semi-pro football makes more than a dollar a game. And there are still a lot of people that will say, you know, it's women's semi-pro football. And I'm like, it's the highest level. Okay. Just because the dollars aren't there doesn't mean that the sacrifice isn't there. doesn't mean that they aren't the best that there is. Um, But we do attach professional with dollars, right? Mm -hmm. And we attach amateur status to not getting paid. So if you're going to say you're a pro, then that means that there is money. That is actually the definition. That's why I always tell people I say pro because we couldn't afford the professional. We weren't making enough money for that. Um, but, you know, it took me a while. And that's why I said, you know, it was the second time I was looking at having to fundraise um, to represent my country that it, I was finally pissed off enough to realize that that didn't define me. Right. Like I was I was the number one recruited linebacker for the U.S. national team for the 2013 U.S. national team. And I was going to have to do car washes again. I was over it. I was like, I'm a four time Super Bowl champion. I'm an eight time pro bowler. And why do I not have any sponsors? Right. Like and and why is it so hard? And I, I literally started a GoFundMe page 
and just said, here's the truth. And I knew nothing about writing, right? I would have argued that I wasn't a good writer or any of that, but I was just honest. And were you able to raise a significant amount of money through the GoFundMe? I raised my whole $3,000 to represent Team USA. And people were like, wow, I had no idea. Like I remember one of one of the most significant donations to me was it was like a couple hundred dollars and it was from former Pittsburgh Steeler bad to the bone. You know, I think he played 13 years, Willie Williams. Wow. And he man, I believe in you. And he had a company called X pro at the time. And he actually sent me a bunch of gear and he was like, he was so excited and so behind me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it, I, I couldn't even fathom that somebody who had done that in the NFL would like pay attention. Right. right. And, um, and I remember they're like, we've got you like, keep going. And, um, and then I got asked to write and cover the U S team because we didn't have anybody who was covering it. Mm-hmm. Right. There was, as we've talked about press, And they said, but you have a following from your GoFundMe, so can you just keep writing? And I remember being like, can't I just have one job for once? How much would you say you made during your playing career? And what were some of the jobs you had to have to supplement what you were making playing football? I'd love to hear this. Um, So as a woman in football, the most I ever made was a dollar a game. Um, and I never once cashed one of those checks, um, you know, and, and the infamous story, how people really got to know about, um, the dollar a game was when I got hired by the Arizona Cardinals, I talked about, you know, remembering the first check I ever got for playing women's pro football. And it was after we won our Super Bowl in 2004 and we went undefeated 12 and 0 and I got a check for $12 and the whole room collectively just went because here I was joining the NFL and you know talking about paying playing for a dollar a game and you know I think that's what's so important about platform is because no one knew right? We were the best women in the world at football and no one knew what we were sacrificing to do it. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden I'm on an NFL platform and I, I didn't, nobody told me what I should say or shouldn't say. Nobody told me about what an NFL press conference was. I mean, I, I went from relative anonymity to the biggest stage in professional sports and a press conference at that, which I did not know was really going to happen until like the day before. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh. And when I, when I said the check, I, you know, it was like, you know, I said, and that to me was still the most important check I've ever gotten because it was the difference between playing for free and being a pro. And I kept it as a reminder of what I was playing for. Transitioning just slightly here because you bring up the Arizona Cardinals and Bruce Arians and you two are inextricably linked through football for the rest of both of your careers, you will be. How did that relationship begin and evolve that and the evolution eventually led to your position with the Arizona Cardinals? Well, I will give a lot of credit to the media on this one. Uh, <laughs> when Sarah Thomas was hired as the first full-time ref in NFL history, a reporter asked Bruce Arians if he could ever see a female coaching in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And BA's answer was simple. The second a woman proves that she can make these guys better, she'll be hired. And so at that time, I was coaching for the Texas Revolution, which was you know, the indoor football. Right. And Which um, you played for, that was the team right. you the first female. Yes. Wrestler. yes. So I played for them and then they had a new head coach who came in the following season and I impressed him um, after he grilled me on football and everything else. And he right. said, you coach my football team. And I said, no, 
And he said, not a lot of guys are going to give you this opportunity. You're, you're taking this job. And I said, no. And I hung up. And the next day he called me back and told me about myself. He said, do you remember how I told you not a lot of guys were going to give you this opportunity and you were taking this job? And I said, yeah. He said, good. I took it for you. (laughs) Me. And by the way, you can't quit. Otherwise the entire narrative of women coaching in men's pro football will be, we had a girl once and she quit. Right. Oh, the pressure. Right. Like, did this guy have my number? Well, no, you know what? It was good pressure. And I lovingly say that Wendell Davis drop kicked me to success because though I may have not felt confident enough to step up into that role, um, I surely wouldn't quit. Right. Like I'm not a quitter. Right. And And he knew that. Yeah. And, and he saw something in me before I even saw it in myself. Mm -hmm. And it was a hard job. We coached before work because everybody, you know, those guys at that time were making, you know, and I know this because I made it to $225 a game. And that's only when you're on the active roster, right? So it's not a full-time thing, but we had to practice before work so that then they could go to their other jobs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we had a full coaching staff, I want to say of like 10 or 11 at the time, like when I took this job and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like we had a bunch of like, you know, former NFL guys and we're going to really get to learn from them. And this is the perfect mentorship. We started with 10. By the end of the season, there were two of us who had originally started. We had this opportunity to do this crazy cool thing together. And these guys were so respectful and so loving. And I have amazing relationships with them to this day because everybody thought we would be an epic fail right when I played or when I coached and so when Bruce made that comment I went to Devin and I talked to him about it and he said well we should call Bruce well it's a little different for you Mr. Former New England Patriot and current head coach of the Texas Revolution to say we should call Bruce than me, this girl who the closest I've ever been to an NFL sidelines was the nosebleed section because we couldn't afford to be anywhere else unless we were working the event or something, right? And he just kind of looked at me and he's like, can you get me his number? And I'm thinking, dude, don't you have a little system for that or a little boys club, like little little phone book that nobody else can get? And you know, I just laughed about it. And he was like, well, I'd love to talk to Bruce for you, but you have to get me the number. So, you know, like I said, practice was really early and, um, I, I ended up having a lot of time on my hands that day. So I got back and it kind of felt like a challenge. Like, could I get his number? And I was like, I don't know. So I go on the Arizona Cardinals website and I find a number and I'm, I call the Arizona Cardinals um, on behalf of my head coach. Uh-huh. Which, right. right? I was just following assistant. rules. You love a right. challenge. You were just following rules. Right. He asked me to call him. Exactly. Um, you know, and I told them I was calling on behalf of him. So I was kind of like, not uh, more like an assistant that day, um, like than an assistant coach, but the right. same. I'm helping the big man. Right. And, my head coach wanted to talk to their head coach about this woman who was coaching on his staff who just happened to be me. Right. And so I worked my way all the way to Bruce's assistant, Wes. And Wes was so awesome. He was like, I think BA would really want to take this call. Let me get your head coach's number and I'll have him call, you know, call him back. I didn't actually think that, um, BA was going to call back my head coach. I, I just kind of thought I had gotten blown off, but I was so proud of myself that I had the nerve to call the Arizona Cardinals. I was like, wow, that was super dope. Like, I can't even believe I did that. And yet I walked into practice probably about two weeks later and Devin was like, he was like lit up. Right. I mean, he, he was already larger than life, but a, a, a man that big looking this happy. Yeah. That early. I mean, it was probably like five o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not myself right then. And he's like, coach Jen. And I was like, oh, oh, right. Like, oh, what did I do? And he was like, you will never guess who I talked to yesterday. And I'm thinking, coach, I'm sleepy. I'm not guessing anything. Right. right. And he's, 
Yeah, I, you know, I'm probably paraphrasing, I'm sure, but he was like, you know, it was Bruce Arians and he said, tell me about this girl. And, and so was the beginning. That was the beginning. And, you know, BA asked, do the guys listen to her? What's her background? You know, I mean, Wendell said, or um, Devin said, like, they talked for about an hour and he's wow. like, he wanted to know everything about you. He loved that I had a PhD in psychology and, you know, he essentially said, you know, would she be interested in this? So I think this is the right team. We have great high character guys. Um, I think they'd be great. And he said, we already have one of the most diverse rosters in the NFL. And he's like, I think this is the right team, the right, you know, coaching staff, and you're definitely the right woman. And he said, I don't, I don't know yet if I can make this happen. I have to get a whole lot of yeses, but I want you to know it's in my heart to try. Did you feel a sort of pressure at all? I know we've talked about pressure in this conversation already and that, you know, pressure is a good thing. Pressure makes diamonds, but did you feel a sort of weight on your shoulders that if this opportunity didn't work out or if it ended poorly, the door would shut behind you for other women? You know, I always say that like, you know, as the first, your first responsibility is to ensure you're not the last. Right. Right. And so it's hard when you're that one person because you are the entire sample set, right? There's, there's not been other people who did it. They're not looking like the narrative isn't, can Jen Welter do this? Right. But it was, can a woman do this? Mm -hmm. So at that time, you're the only person who gets to set the example of whether or not a woman can be successful. And that is hard. And yet, you know, it was like, you know, what, what else are you going to do? So there is pressure. Um, and, and you're aware of it, but the way I kind of looked at it is like, okay, that's, we just got to put our head down because if you pay too much attention to that, like, then you're surely going to do a bad job because you're going to be so focused on everything that doesn't matter that, you know, it's like, you, you know, it's like the receiver that runs before he catches the ball right? We see it all the time. Like some of the very best in the game, they turn and start to run before they caught the ball and then they drop it. Mm. And so for me, it was like, just the most important thing was to live in every moment and be the very best that I could to my players, to my coaching staff and to the game as a whole, to respect it for what it was. And, um, you know, and, and to be that person and, you know, and to not lose myself in the process. Well, we obviously have seen that the opportunity you earned yourself was not, the door did not shut behind you. Women have continued to break into the NFL and there are multiple full-time assistant coaches in the NFL right now, including two women who are on Arian staff in Tampa Bay right now. So he recently won the Champion for Equality Award presented by the Women's Sports Foundation for his work in advancing women in the NFL. I wonder what your perspective then is on him taking a chance recently on Antonio Brown. And do you think this is at all counterproductive just in, you know, for, for women in football, given Brown's recent, recent history? I think that's a great question. And I think it's a hard one to answer on, on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, the, for me, I always said like with my players that I would never prejudge them Mm -hmm. because I would be the first one who would get judged, right. For whatever your, your thoughts are on a woman or this, that, and the other being in here. And you know, at times I, I maybe didn't make enough of a stance on some of those issues considering track record. Mm-hmm. And as somebody with a degree in psychology, that's also part of what what we're supposed to do. Right. Right. Meet somebody 
where they are, not based on where they were, because, you know, if we all condemn them, then then they're destined to remain condemned. Right. If if we look at a past as being the only determinant of the future, then how do we ever grow? And, and I struggle with that sometimes because as a woman, for a woman, like for women, like, you know, I've been treated badly by men because I'm a woman and I've had personal experiences. And yet I, I try not to let them taint me in terms of how I look at men in general right but i'm going to be the fiercest protector of women when i know what situation they're in so it, it's that is it's a really tough point for me especially with my training in psychology right mm -hmm. because we're supposed to be the ones who look at where you were and help you to get to a better version of yourself um in looking at Antonio Brown going to Tampa Bay, one of the things that I thought was interesting that Bruce said is that he said, you know, if those charges turn out to be true with respect to um, the abuse of a woman, then he won't be here, right? And so, um, you know, making the statement that he is still considered in that account, innocent until proven guilty, um, is an interesting distinction, right? Um, because he's basically saying, um, of these other issues, his punishment has been determined and, and, you know, we're giving him a short leash on that, but on this issue, we don't yet know if it's true or false. And I owe it to my team to give them this opportunity. So I'm, I'm torn with that. Transitioning here. Why do you think women's football hasn't been sustainable despite the continued showing of interest by women in football and also the accomplishments women have made in football and how do we change that? So I think we're getting a lot closer. Mm -hmm. I think that you first of all needed um, this kind of group of women who came up through um, you know, the Team USA culture and some of that to mature and to get into places in our lives where, you know, we've been there, done that, and, and we're able to advocate for other people. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're seeing that, right? Callie Brunson is a Team USA alumni. Katie Sowers is a Team USA alumni, right? And, and those women are getting to extend their careers in ways that weren't possible for us. So those, all of the women breaking through and getting these roles um, coming out of having played football, right? That is important because it gives girls that permission to go for this, right? We talked about this a little bit earlier, but then in addition, you know, one of the things that I've been focused on is we need our system, right? We don't, we don't want the woman to necessarily, or the game's going to be inherently limited is probably a better way to say it. The game's going to be inherently limited if it is always starting when women are 22 years old. Right. Right. Or there's not a feeder system. And yes, some have played earlier, you know, Sammy Grisafi, who was our team USA quarterback played in high school. And now there are actually more girls playing, you know, through high school, but to really get the sport to be the best that it can be, girls need the opportunity to play it, engage with it, learn it at younger and younger ages. And that's both in things like, you know, the flag development. And then it's things like Sam Gordon, who, you know, founded the tackle, you know, the tackle girls in Utah right. and is now in a court case fighting for that equality. Right. Right people who have come through to overcome and pull and push and use their example as not only something for them, but a catalyst for change in society as a whole, mm -hmm. right? Gordon um, went viral for playing against the boys and then didn't want to just have to play against the boys anymore. Right. But to that point, then, do you think do you think 
reaching the pinnacle would be women playing in the NFL or women having their own sustainable league? To me, I don't want women to have to play against guys like I do. Like I lovingly say that like, um, you know, I got into men's pro football in the most painful way possible. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I played and I literally took the hits every day. But that means that the sport is going to be inherently limited to girls who are the exception. And they never get a a chance to play with, you know, other girls and to be able to rule the sport, right? So why does it have to be that she's different in order to be in this game as opposed to this game, just like every other game is made for her? Right. that that's the goal and you see the movement towards that through um the things that are happening in women's tackle football now so i think you're kind of getting at that place where there is this perfect storm of increased professionalism and the goals of getting women in sports in general right more profile more media coverage and yes more darn pay right? That there is that perfect storm in women's sports in general, right? right? And though women's football has not traditionally been included in that conversation, right? It was almost like we were a little bit of an outsider because our sport didn't have parity at any level. It wasn't even socialized the same. It's not like, you know, with like basketball where you could play in high school, play in college, and then go either play overseas or play the WNBA and that the WNBA and the NBA had a chance to be like brother and sister. There hasn't been that. Right. So football wasn't really, it, it, you know, I tell people it's the only sport that hasn't had parity at any level. It is the sport with the furthest to go, but that's all that also means we have, potential to make the biggest incremental change in the sport and in society through the sport. So what we're going to see now is that that perfect storm surrounding women in sports and collectively women who are powerhouses looking at the importance of sport and challenging people to step up and step in and change those dynamics with their wallets, Uh right? have 87% of the purchasing power. So ladies, let's put our money where our passion is, right? And so as that happens, and we realize that, hmm, if you want my money, then I want you to be a company that is big on gender parity, right? I like you, Adidas, because you back the WNFC and you you signed Jen Welter to um, a football contract, which was unheard of. Right. So yeah, we like you. And guess what? When I go to buy my cleats for my son and my daughter, I'm buying Adidas because it means something to put my purchasing power there. So as we realize the power that we truly have, which has often been either separated or dismissed, then we can start to make our money work for us, right? Make the dollars make sense. Encourage brands to back women in sports or to hire, you know, not just, not someone who is a model, but hire someone who plays in the sport, Right. right? Their money behind sponsoring, you know, the athletes in the sport and using that as catalyst for change, right? And then as we do that, the women who are investing their blood, sweat, and tears in the sports will collectively rise as we all do. And you see powerful female entities also coming in and cross-pollinating right? Like you see She Is, which is one of the collectives that I am, where we have literally powerful women in sports pledged to amplify and support each other. Seems simple, right? Like, hey, I'm going to amplify like, hey, I'm a a football gal, but I'm going to go check out the WNBA today, or I'm going to go, you know, to WWE Evolution, which was the first all women's wrestling match. And we're going to do these things and we're going to show up and we're going to show that it's cool because then our collective voices become bigger. As far as the incremental change goes, you've been helping make that happen through your camps. And obviously when COVID hit, you had to adjust. How have the camps adjusted to COVID and what are your plans for these camps 
as we move forward and, um, you know, have to adjust to, to deal with COVID. Yeah. You know, one of the most painful and yet I thought responsible decisions that I had to make um, over this summer and this fall was to not conduct those camps. We didn't know enough. I didn't feel confident that I couldn't have been, that I wouldn't have been a part of the problem and not the solution. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to not do those camps, which are such a big part of me and my heart was really tough. Um, But I didn't feel like I could, um, you know, I, I didn't feel like it would be fair to be out there with those girls and exposing them to a risk that we maybe didn't understand or to personally set an example of, you know, just not taking it seriously. Right. right? Like I think that, you know, being in the public eye, you have to be very mindful of the, the messages that you send. And, and that was hard, right? It's, it is wearing a mask. It is, social distancing. It's not, it's not conducting, um, 200 person events where somebody that I care about could get sick as a result. And so that was a hard decision. And it's hard for me every day. And especially because I watch, you know, other leagues doing certain things and, um, you know, I get jealous. I mean, I want to be out there playing. Like I, I want to more than anything, but I also felt, felt like, the best way that I could truly be a leader for them was to lead in terms of not pushing them to go against what we know is science. Right. Um, And so, you know, I've, we've done some virtual things, you know, I've led some virtual workouts and um, also, you know, Adidas and I have done some, um, you know, talks about sports as a business, right? We did one so that the girls could understand like cleat design and, you know, having some other extended conversations for them. And I think that that's great. There's also been some digital content. Um, And then I am working with actually, you know, one of my coaches, um, Coach Stone, and we're going to do a and this is the first venture that we've had since COVID, but the, the setup is, is designed for it. Um, we're going to do a camp with the USO for some of the soldiers on a base. So it's a, a controlled environment. Um, and we're going to test out what a, you know, what a great football day could look like with mm-hmm. social distancing and not having, you know, and minimizing any of that possible transference. Um, mm-hmm. And we thought the best way to trial that was with adults, um, so that we would, you know, cause theoretically they can follow instructions. Um, <laughs> I wish you all could see my eyes on that because, yeah. the problem. <laughs> um, but we're going to, you know, we're going to venture into that because, you know, I think for me, it was like, you know, in the short term, what was important was to lead by, um, you know, supporting them and not being that temptation, Um, And now seeing that this is going on for much longer than any of us would have imagined or hoped, how do we maintain contact, whether it's in person or digitally, which we've done some of, but not to the extent that I probably would have done it if I'd have known. Um, And then, you know, when, as we're dealing with the fact that this could be a whole nother year, then if we're going to do some in-person stuff, what are the best ways to do it and to protect all parties involved? Um, so that is, that is really our next evolution. But I think content is going to be a huge part of that. And we can also give the girls a whole lot of new hope in forming a partnership with the Pro Football Hall of Fame so that they know they have a place there. Definitely. You know, that was, that was really important to me. And for them to specifically request that, like, the home of Iron Girls be at the pro football hall of fame to me was like, you know, it, it was, it was such a huge thing to really even like read, right. We talked about it, but to like read it, I was like, wow, we have a home, right. Right. Outsiders have been welcomed into one of the meccas of football at the highest level. And we're going to, you know, give the girls 
um, opportunities in that place and that space that they know that, you know, it's not out of bounds because it was to me, I had never been there until my t-shirt was in the hall of fame. That partnership between yourself and the Hall of Fame Resort and Entertainment Company was announced today. It's November 9th. This episode is going to publish this weekend, but that partnership was announced today. And as you said, even though the future of in-person activity is still up in the air for Gridiron Girls, the hope that you are able to establish through this partnership with the Hall of Fame is going to mean so much to young women knowing that when these camps do begin again, their home is going to be at one of the most iconic football locations in the world. What went into making this partnership happen and how much are you looking forward to actually getting to host a in-person camp in Canton? Oh my gosh. So it is the home base because, you know, um, as I said to them, Uh, a big part of this is outreach and being in the community. So we can be based here and this can be our, you know, our, our central place, but um, it will certainly not stop me from traveling and going to these girls where they are, because, you know, a lot of the girls that we want to reach out to are the ones who maybe couldn't take a trip like that to Canton, Mm. Ohio. Right. So they deserve those in-person opportunities. So just to, um, that we know that, but we do hope it will be a destination for some huge events. And, um, you know, I, I have dreams of like big gridiron girls tournaments where, you know, women and girls can come, you know, from all over the world and, you know, come to this destination where football is for them. Um, and that is the hope. So the, you know, the initial roots of that partnership really started when my my shirt was inducted into Canton because I I didn't um, I, I didn't really know um, what it would mean to so many people there, right? Like I, I knew what it meant to me, but like seeing the women who were working in the you know the archivalist Rachel and like her saying how proud she was to order this bust and all of the women who worked for the hall of fame um, to really just say like, Oh my gosh, you're like, you're like our hero. And and we can't believe that we were here in this time that, you know, um, that women would be doing this. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like it, it became, um, it gave me such a broader perspective of all of the people within the sport who were impacted by the, on the field activities. Right. And, um, to see truly how we could champion change in society by moving the needle in all aspects of the sport. And so I got to meet these incredible people and we started off with um, David Baker, um, who is actually with the hall of fame. So there's the hall of fame village um, and then the hall of fame museum. And he he welcomed, he's just this giant man. He's the one we all see, like who tells the guys that they're going to be in Canton, um, who knocks on the doors. Um, and he, he was like, you know, coach, you just, I want you to know, no matter what you have a, a home in Canton. And I remember feeling as somebody so displaced, I finally feel like this, this warm love of football, um, through generations. Right. And he asked me first to be, Um, on the advisory board for the Game for Life Academy, which they were putting together, which of course was right up my alley because it was, you know, life lessons through the game of football, Uh right? So obviously as somebody who has had my life um, really molded by football, like I was like, yes, yes, yes. I get to do stuff with the Hall of Fame and like you want my ideas and to make sure that girls have a voice and um, yes, and so I've, I've worked with them on that for a while and really that allowed us to develop relationships, right? And, you know, I've had these programs, I mean, Gridiron Girls was founded three years ago and you know that I was like, you need to do Gridiron Girls, you need to do this here. <laughs> and, you know, my women's programming that I created and we launched with the Redskins, I think I did it in 2016 and I, you know, I've shown them that and I'm like, we need to do this for women here. And, um, they were so deep in the 
development project of building that huge stadium and everything. They were like, yes, Jen, yes, we definitely, we're building the stadium. We're doing all this stuff and we want you to be a part of it. Um, and it was like, oh, man, am I getting my hopes up for nothing? Right. But then the hall of fame village is actually a, a really cool. It's like, it's the part of now the hall of fame that is honoring the past and really looking towards the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were like, we want to be more inclusive. We want to do this. And the president of the hall of fame village reached out to me, even though we had been, we had been introduced. Um, I think he came in like this year. And so women like Anne Graffis, who is a rock star and has, you know, she used to be at the museum and now she's with the village. She told him, like, I think from day one, like, you need to work with Jen. You need to work with Jen. You need to work with Jen. And him and I had talked once on the phone, but it was right before the start of COVID. And it was like, oh no, all this stuff we've been working on. No, it went away. And he reached out um, probably a, you know, a month or a couple of months ago, I don't know, time is relative right now, and was like, it's time. It's time. We need to work together. He was like, I want you on on a call with the entire Hall of Fame village, and we are going to figure out um, how to do this because one of our goals is the inclusion of girls and women, and you are the person to make that happen. And I, I was like, really? You know, it was like, it was just such a, a crazy, exciting moment. And to be able to tap in and hear all of the things that they're doing and to look at all of the points of intersection, right? One of the, you know, the clear ones was Gridiron Girls and having a home base, but it's also being an ambassador for the hall. Um, and then we have it set. So it's a very expansive relationship where, you know, I'll be a part of not just the things for girls and women, but included in the things, you know, that the guys are doing. Um, because one of the things they know about me is I'm like, I don't do this separate, but equal. Cause it's never equal. Right. Like we need inner, you know, we need to learn how to be better together. And so I'll have an opportunity to really be a bridge builder while also making sure that, you know, that the girls have a place, they have a home, and that we are telling um, stories that will help these girls see, you know, the women who have maybe yet to be seen in that space. And so um, it's really been just this exciting process. And it was like the flurry of getting it all done um, over the weekend was like, Oh my gosh, I can't even tell anybody because I'm so excited, but I have this thing that like, if I were to ever like tell somebody before it happens, it might go away. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you like, don't want to jinx it. I won't jinx it. Like that was right. Nobody knew about the Cardinals. People are like, how did that not get leaked? I'm like, cause I didn't tell anybody. Cause I would have looked crazy if it didn't happen. And- well, your experience speaks for itself and there was no way you were going to jinx the Cardinals or any of your other accomplishments, including this partnership with the hall of fame. And I'm so excited that we got to talk about it here on equal play because you're right. Girls and women need to see their faces in that hall the same way that men are seeing their faces there. So wrapping up here with you today, you've provided so much insight and so many important gems for us here today. But my final question for you is just this. What is your hope for women in sports as the future continues to unfold? I want women in sports to have the place in the space where they're magic. And that's every level. That's ownership, right? That's front office, that's coaching, that's media, because it's her passion and because she's capable and because she's worth it. Not because she's the exception, not because they need a token, not because, you know, whatever else that is, but because why wouldn't she? Shouldn't she? Couldn't she? We have a vice president elect who is a female whose mom was an immigrant. If that doesn't tell us all that 
diversity is a strength in every area of society, both in terms of race and in terms of gender, then you're not paying attention because the signs are all around us. And now we deserve to know that there really aren't any places that we shouldn't be able to try. Now, we decide it's not what we like, that's okay. Right, that's a different story. Right, like I'm not a quarterback. There's all these videos with me throwing the ball, which I laugh because I'm like, yeah, I do that because I'm running a drill, right? right? I'm not a quarterback. There are great quarterbacks who are women and they would laugh. I'm a linebacker or a speed rusher, right? But like being able to try it and say, gosh, I'm better over here. I really like this. That's what's important. Exactly. Able to aspire to be the best version of yourself and to curate the life of your dreams that doesn't have to be dictated by, you know, oh, she's okay for a girl. Exactly. Or, you know, that, that, that somehow degraded lesson or, you know, that, um, that comparison that because she did this, she's somehow less of a woman and more of a man. No, like greatness can come in every make, model, shape, size, creed, color, sexual orientation, package. It's heart, hustle, intellect, fire and we all deserve to be magic what a beautiful sentiment and hope and dream to end our conversation on and we continue to prove every day that these aren't just dreams they are attainable and we are here not because we are different but because we belong and that is just such a beautiful statement to make jen I appreciate you so much for taking this time out of your day to speak with me and to come on Equal Play. Your voice is so valuable and it was an honor to have this conversation with you today.